0: when the clock has started. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. I'm your announcer, Graham. I've been away working on a new movie with Tom Hanks and I'm glad to be back and working on this show. And now, back from his trip to Las Vegas, here's your podcaster, Doug. (laughs) Oh, it's good to have Graham back, isn't it? Welcome, everybody, to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prazak. Thank you for tuning in. (laughs) This is going to be... A bizarre show, I'm telling you right now. I've had uh, uh, some issues getting it going. But first, let's say hi to some people tuning in. Uh, Baker, West Virginia. Uh, that's a brand new name. Apparently, Baker is named after the Baker family. Just saying. Fox Island in Washington. Uh, back in 1988, a uh, nuclear submarine went aground there. They finally got it out. And uh, a lot of people in Australia, but this is the first time I've seen Sydney actually on my list so welcome to sydney australia oh and one thing flashed in my mind just before recording this episode i realized whatever happened to the moog synthesizer is anybody else out there old enough to remember the moog synthesizer it was an electronic music machine thingy Uh, if you don't know what that is this may help If you've been to uh, any Disney park in the world, any of the 27 different parks, (laughs) you've probably heard this. Uh, You probably know it as the Main Street Electrical Parade. Actually, it's called the Baroque Hoedown, but it was performed on a Moog synthesizer. And, you know, I think more groups should employ the Moog. I think it may just change the face of music. (laughs) Okay, getting on with the show. Yeah, I struggled this week. (laughs) Can you tell? As, uh, as Graham mentioned, I was in uh, Las Vegas this past weekend. Uh, we were there so my executive producer could run in the Las Vegas half marathon. I just watched. Let me tell you, three days in Vegas can take a toll. I got home on Monday. Tuesday, I was dead to the world. And I go, oh, my God, I need to get a show recorded. So I've been trying to think of a topic that I could use to waste your 20, waste your 20 minutes. I was, you know, I was coming up empty, (laughs) kind of like my wallet after Vegas. I, but I decided I went to my collection of little notes. These are, you know, ideas for a show I write down, but they never amount to much, mostly because they're just not long enough to fill 20 minutes. I mean, I could change the podcast to eight minutes you'll never get back. But, you know, then (laughs) I'd just be shortchanging you and me. So then I thought, well, wait a minute, I probably have enough of them to fill 20 minutes. <laughs> so lucky you, huh? So those eight minutes have turned back into 20 minutes. And we'll just call this Doug's grab bag of stories because <laughs> I can't think of anything else. Okay. Our first story comes from a town in Boyd County, Nebraska called Mono I, M-O-N-O-W-I. Don't pronounce a W. Come on, people. The town, if you want to call it that, because according to the U.S. Census, it's a village. Anyway, it sits on the Outlaw Trail Scenic Byway. Now, there's a tavern and a library and just one resident, making it the only incorporated government-run town in the United States to have a population of one. That person, that single, solitary soul, is 87-year-old Elsie Eiler. Sadly, in 2004, Elsie's husband, Rudy, passed away, and that dropped Monowise's population by, <laughs> by half. That's not funny, Doug. Oh, what's it like being uh, the only person in town? Well, Elsie says, surprisingly, it's busy, actually. As the sole resident of a one-human town, she wears a number of hats. She dutifully signs whatever paperwork the state sends her to secure funding for things like water, for the electricity that keeps Monowise's three street lamps lit, and for road repairs. She files taxes and collects them herself. She's Monowise's mayor and perpetually runs unopposed (laughs) in its election. She's its secretary and clerk, applying for liquor and tobacco licenses and then signing them herself. And she's the owner cook, and bartender of the Manawai Tavern Restaurant and Bar. Now, the tavern is the only business in Manawai, and running it is Elsie's most important and long-standing job. It's been hers since June of 1971 when she and Rudy bought it from an older couple who couldn't keep it up. Now, she works at the bar Tuesday through Sunday from 9 a.m. to whenever her last customer is gone. She only began taking Mondays off in 2011 after being diagnosed with colon cancer. Good God, Elsie. Even the tavern itself is a, a reminder of the past. Above the bar, there's rows of ceramic Budweiser beer mugs, almost 40 of them, that Eiler purchased from the company every year since 1983. Now, the bathroom, it's an outhouse. One Google reviewer said, quote, Good food bathroom is weird and then gave it 3 stars. Ew. The tavern's food and drink really haven't changed in decades and neither have the prices. <laughs> Eiler sticks to the basics. Hamburgers are 350 plus 25 cents if you want cheese and hot dogs are just a dollar 25. I, there was a hamburger in Las Vegas that cost twenty two dollars. I gotta drive to Nebraska for my hamburger. There's also a sign out front of the tavern that reads "Coldest beer in t- in Town." <laughs> you gotta love Elsie's sense of humor. <laughs> Elsie has lived alone for nearly two decades, and her time is spent among just those three buildings: her home, the tavern, and Rudy's library. The library is a small, classic, rustic building with five thousand books. That Rudy had collected, and in case you're wondering, it operates on an honor system. <laughs> so there you go, Elsie and the talent of Mono uh, This next story comes to us from uh, England, across the pond. In uh, it's kind of old, but it's I just read it, so it's it's funny. In July of 1999, a Buckingham Palace footman was in the doghouse after officials discovered he was getting Queen Elizabeth's beloved corgis drunk. <laughs> Matthew King was one of the Queen's two personal footmen. He has been demoted and slapped with a $3,500 pay cut after the pooch-hooch parties came to light. A source told the Sun newspaper that he was famous for his party trick of pouring booze into the corgis' food and water. He thought it was really funny and used to call other servants over to see the dogs stagger about when they were a bit tipsy. (laughs) What a jerk. Oh, God. King's responsibilities included walking the queen's pampered pets, and unfortunately for him, he was accused of spiking their water with whiskey and gin from the royal liquor trolley. I need to get a liquor trolley. I'm not going to make a note of that. Suspicions were raised after one 14-year-old corgi died, and a routine autopsy revealed traces of alcohol in the animal's blood. A palace insider said the dogs certainly developed a liking for the booze, and they were very eager to, to lap it up. King apparently played bartender to the short legged dogs only when the queen was away. Next up, a duck, a frog, a beaver, and a turtle go on a cruise. (laughs) A world's worst joke. But, all right, the cruise is actually a pretty broad term there. They were actually in a cargo container on a cargo ship. On January 10th, 1992, a storm at sea in the Pacific set in motion. one of the largest and most unusual studies into global ocean currents. Our animal friends were on a freighter traveling from China to America. Now, unfortunately, the ship was caught up in a storm, which caused the vessel to tip. Uh Uh-oh! The less-than-favorable maneuver saw several uh, big shipping containers unceremoniously dumped into the water, uh, one of which contained a consignment of 28,800 bath toys. Now, the toys were plastic-wrapped and mounted on cardboard, and each contained a yellow duck, a red beaver, a green frog, and a blue turtle made by the first year's company. The happy little animals burst forth from their shipping container, uh, most likely due to the doors being opened in a collision with one of the other containers. Uh, it's suspected that the combination of soaking in salty water and being jostled about by the currents of waves set the quartets free from their packaging. Now, the toys were designed without any holes, so they successfully bobbed up to the surface. The toys were called friendly floaties and first began to wash up on the Alaskan coast towards the end of 1992, approximately 2,000 miles from their point of origin, you know, where they fell off the cargo ship. Since it's not really cool to dump stuff in the ocean for scientific purposes, the scientists took advantage and started following uh, the movement of the ducks and the turtles and the red beavers, around the water to see how it affected the ocean currents. By 2007, the ducks and their friends were bleached white by their journey, but some still had the first year's branding that identified them. A small number began washing up on the southwestern shores of the UK. Now, it's possible there are still friendly floaties at sea to this very day, whether caught up in one of the ocean's great garbage patches or having washed up on the shores where there's no people or they have no idea what Robert Duck is. All right, I think it's time for a break. And when we come back, I'm going to have some more stories for you. Well, at least nine and a half minutes worth, because, you know, I have to fill till 20. (laughs) So don't go away. I'll be right back. Every one of you undoubtedly have a headache or pain remedy that you swear by. You probably all have one right now listening to the show. But haven't you noticed that on some occasions it fails you, that there are times it does not seem to work? On these occasions, let me suggest that you try Anacin, for here is a remedy that I'm sure won't fail you. Anacin contains not one pain soothing agent alone, but four, one of which is in all probability the remedy you now customarily take to relieve pain. You can get Anacin at your druggist for a few cents. Your money back if you're not pleased. I'll spell the name. A-N-A-C-I-N. Oh, thank God he spelled it. I would hate to have gone to the store and not know how to spell Anison and try and pick some up. My headache would have gotten worse. (laughs) All right, let's get going with the show. So as you know, I was in Vegas this weekend Vegas calls itself the gambling capital of the world. So you know what? I did some research, you know, so you didn't have to, but there are a lot of other places are self-proclaimed capitals of something. The broccoli capital of the world or the chewing gum capital of the world. Well, here's some more that are a little strange. Pearsonville, California, apparently is the hubcap capital of the world. Now, while Pearsonville only has a population of 17, it's still the hubcap capital. Lucy Pearson is the hubcap queen and has collected thousands of hubcaps spread across three separate wrecking yards. (laughs) I guess if you got to collect something. All right, this is a capital I need to uh, take note of. Anthony. It's a little town that straddles a border of New Mexico and Texas. They claim to be the leap year capital of the world. Anthony says it started its worldwide leap year festival for a very simple reason. Nobody else was doing it. They established the worldwide leap year birthday club in 1988. And now every four years, the little city holds a mass birthday party for anyone and everyone born on February 29th. And for those who don't know, my executive producer is born on February 29th. So I guess I know where I'll be. Have you ever flown somewhere in the airline's lost your luggage? Well, Scottsboro, Alabama, they are the lost luggage capital of the world. (laughs) Have you ever wondered? Just what the airlines do with all their unclaimed luggage. You know, they just don't stuff it in some huge warehouse somewhere. Nope. After making every reasonable attempt to find the owner of a piece of luggage, the airlines will typically sell it to Scottsboro's unclaimed baggage center, which is a huge store filled with the stuff other people left behind. (laughs) I would love to go through the unclaimed baggage center and see what kind of stuff people left behind. I'll take pictures. Okay, La Crosse, Kansas. They are the barbed wire capital of the world. They claim over 2,000 varieties of vintage barbed wire, and they have dioramas, educational films, and antique fencing equipment. (laughs) The Antique Barbed Wire Society, the group that's associated with the museum, They even have its own magazine. If you want to keep up with the latest barbed wire (laughs) trends, you know, I laugh. I mean, I'm sure it's serious stuff if you need barbed wire, but for somebody who lives out here in Los Angeles, it's it's kind of humorous. Bardstown, Kentucky. They are the bourbon capital of the world. Now we're talking Bardstown, Kentucky is where an incredible 97%. Yeah. You heard me. 97% of all bourbon is made there. Their bourbon festival is held annually and is six whole days of <laughs> celebrating the drink and the culture surrounding it. Oh, that is a party you want to be at. Barstown is so associated with bourbon that the city even has trademarked the Bourbon Capital of the World moniker. <laughs> there you go. Six days of bourbon. <laughs> Rain, Louisiana is the frog capital of the world. Rain, Louisiana is formerly a frog exportation center for restaurants worldwide. Oh, that's sad. And the town remembers its history with frog murals, statues, and even a yearly frog festival, which includes rides and events like the Frog Derby, where frogs are dressed in elaborate costumes and race against one another. (laughs) Next up, Anoka, Minnesota. I hope I pronounced that right, Minnesota. It's the Halloween capital of the world. Back in 1920, the citizenry of Anoka, Minnesota, were sick of kids, sick of it, vandalizing everything on Halloween night, so they decided to throw a huge party to keep the youngsters distracted. It worked so well, it became an annual celebration and spread to other cities. By 1937, Congress had officially named Anoka the Halloween capital of the world. Well, there you go. Congress said it must be true. (laughs) Binghamton, New York is the carousel capital of the world. The antique carousel is an endangered species, and fewer than 200 still exist throughout the U.S. and Canada. So, if you want to hit up as many possible in one trip, head to Binghamton, New York. The city currently holds six of them, each listed on the National Register of Historic Places. From the, this is just weird category, Beaver, Oklahoma is the cow chip throwing capital of the the world. Now, if you don't know what a cow chip is, well, uh, simply put, a cow chip is a large, flat, dried piece of cow poop. (laughs) You take this and you throw it as far as you can, like a Frisbee. Now, if that sounds like your idea of fun then Beaver, Oklahoma has the world's largest cow chip throwing competition every April. It's only March, so you have time to get there. And lastly, Dyersville, Iowa is the farm toy capital of the world. Now, Dyersville, Iowa is actually known for being the location of the movie Field of Dreams, but more importantly, Dyersville is also the location of the National Farm Toy Museum, the largest collection of its kind. The museum attracts approximately 30,000 visitors each year who want to see farm toys. So there you go. Field of dreams and farm toys, all in one location. Okay, we're done with capitals of everything in the world, but now this is my last story that couldn't fill 20 minutes by itself, all right? Galicia is a sun-drenched region on the border between Spain and Portugal. Uh, A very canny Spanish woman has decided that she owns the sun and has registration papers to prove it. 49-year-old Angeles Duran says the sun officially belongs to her now after having the celestial body registered in her name at a local notary office. Now, there is an international agreement that states that no country may claim ownership of a planet or star, but it says nothing about individuals. According to Duran, I know the law. She says, there was no snag. I backed my claim legally. I'm not stupid. I know the law. I did it, but anyone else could have done it. It simply occurred to me first. <laughs> you go, Angelus. The document issued by the notary public declares Ms. Duran to be the, quote, owner of the sun, a star of the spectral type G2 located in the center of the solar system, located at an average distance from Earth of about 149 million kilometers. Duran says she now wants to slap a fee on everyone who uses the sun, and she wants to give half the proceeds to the Spanish government and 40% to the nation's pension fund, research, and ending world hunger, and she's going to keep 10% for herself. Yeah, she has not yet figured out a way of enforcing her sun charge, so uh, good for her, and that got me to thinking. I'm gonna file papers to own Uranus. The first thing I'm gonna do is change the name of Uranus or Uranus for all you 12 year olds that thinks it's funny. No, I'm gonna change the name of Uranus to Fluffy McPlanetton. (laughs) I can do that because I'm gonna own it. Well, that's gonna do for this episode. Uh, I managed to fill 19 minutes, but did we really learn anything? Well, we learned you have to be a real douchebag to give a small tavern run by an 87-year-old woman all by herself and only charges 3.50 for a hamburger to give it only three stars. You're a heartless tweezer. We learned that I know where I'm taking my wife on her next February 29th birthday, Anthony, New Mexico slash Texas, leap your capital of the world. I'll let you all know what she thinks about that. (laughs) Oh, and I think I found a loophole to avoid paying Angelus Duran that sun use fee. Use an umbrella. Technically, you're not using the sun. Okay, so there you go. And uh, lastly, we learned that the seventh planet in our solar system is now officially called Fluffy McPlanetton. Go ahead and write that in your kids' school books. (laughs) See how that works out for them. All right, that's going to do it. Thank you very much, as always, for tuning in and listening. And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes. You'll never, ever, really, you'll never get it back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you, if you want to stay informed to when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine it's at 20myngb uh, 20myngb and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back uh, if you sign up there you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded and if you want to leave some comments by all means please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com so it's 20minutespodcast.com and uh, you can uh, leave your comments there. It also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show. So take, take a look at those two things if you'd like and stay informed. And all, as always, thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye.